0: I'm going to go ahead and begin. Uh, thank all of you for joining the Quarantine Collective today in our continued reading of Anti-Oedipus. We're going to be moving into Chapter 3, Section 5, the Territorial Representation. Uh, it's a lot more of the ethnography, uh, a lot more of the history, and a lot about Burma and Myanmar, whatever you want to call it. I can't get the scene from Seinfeld out of my head. I posted it in chat. But uh, thank all of you for joining. A handful of things as we move forward. We do know that we are moving into the school year, so the people who are actually able to join us at noon on Mondays <laughs> has shrunk a little bit, uh, more than a little bit, which is fine. But we are excited to have all of you here who can join. Please do try to join if you can. Uh, we are doing okay on volunteers for the first time. I don't actually have to give that talk. Thank all of you for joining and helping sort of keep this server running. Uh, We have a bunch of other talks. I know that, Kent, uh, we just finished up uh, Zizek's Looking Awry, and it looks like September 2nd, we're going to be moving on to Sex and the Failed Absolute. So uh, anyone who wants to join that, feel free to come to the server and toss on the Zizek flair and head into the chat. Uh, That should be exciting. Any other notes or comments, Kent,
1: Jack? Alyosha, anyone else? So uh, also there's uh, Heidegger Basic Works, We're reading What is Metaphysics? And uh, uh, that happens on uh, Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time.
2: Uh, Likewise, Quarantine Literature has decided to continue with uh, The Birth of Tragedy by Frederick Nietzsche. And we'll be reading up to probably, uh, not aphorism, probably section 15 for our discussion Saturday. At noon PDT. And likewise, Simone Dunn will be continuing their discussion uh, at 11 a.m. PDT.
0: Awesome. And uh, finally, I am actually moved in, so I'm going to have a little bit more free time. So we are looking at getting Cinema One and Two started, probably starting with Cinema One, Deleuze's book on film, The Movement Image. Uh, be watching this space we're going to put a poll up a little bit later today Uh, we'll let it run for a day or two to figure out what time and what day we can run that on to make sure we get uh, all the people who want to be involved uh, involved, which is exciting Um, but with that uh, you're you're free to join you're free to not we uh, would love to have you but uh, I don't think he's in here But with that, we're gonna go ahead and uh, jump into section five, uh, the territorial representation. uh, And we are going to do our same thing as normal, Uh, charge through, read ahead. And uh, if anyone would like to uh, read after I've dove in, feel free to jump in. There's only a handful of people in the chat. So if you are not able to unmute yourself, uh, please uh, say so in the chat, we will unmute you. Everyone should be able to talk at one point or another. But first we'll start. Well, representation is always a social and psychic repression of desiring production. It should be borne in mind that this repression is exercised in very diverse ways, according to the social formation considered. The system of representation comprises three elements that vary in depth. The repressed representative, the repressing representation, and the displaced represented. Say that three times fast. But the agents, les instances, that come to carry them into effect are themselves variable. There are migrations in the system. We see no reason for believing in the universality of one and the same apparatus of social cultural repression. Reflement. One can speak instead of a coefficient of affinity that varies in degree between social machines and desiring machines, according to whether their respective regimes are more or less similar according to whether the desiring machines have a greater or lesser chance of causing their connections and interactions to pass into the regime of the social machines, according to whether the social machines execute more or less of a movement of detachment in relation to the desiring machines, and whether the death-carrying elements remain caught in the machinery of desire and cast in the social elements, the social, sorry, in cast in the social machine or on the contrary, join together to form a death instinct that extends throughout the social machine, crushing desire. It's a hell of a way to start off because it's a lot actually to discuss uh, inside of this, but I'm going to go ahead and give an attempt. Uh, one of the things I do want to mention is their use of the word refumon. Um Commonly today, that's actually used. Uh, uh, non, there's a uh, international decree, in non refoulement which is about uh, uh, the an ability to refuse refugees. If a refugee is coming to your country, forcing them back to go back to their land, if refugees are flowing in, the ability to force them back, it's actually internationally accept- unacceptable. Uh, it's a principle internationally. But it's also used uh, uh, classically for uh, when we force water back into a river that's flowed out of it, which I think is uh, a wonderfully poetic phrase to use in the situation here. Uh, and in the sentence, we see no reason for believing in the universality of one and the same apparatus of social-cultural repression, the idea that repression one uh, is one and the same apparatus. There's many, many that interact. Uh, I'd love any analysis, any thoughts on this paragraph. See how today goes. It's not a lot of you people. <laughs>
2: It seems to me there's three basic points they're trying to make here, which are the uh, the system of representation with three elements, the repressed representative, the repressed repre- representation, and the displaced repressed. Excuse me, the displaced represented. Let me turn this so it's not an angle. Uh, the second point they seem to be making is the relationship of social machines and desiring machines. And then that seems to get expanded into how the death, um, I suppose, the death drive or the elements of the death drive uh, circulate there.
0: Well, so I'll ask then, um, because they talk about the three versions of them, and I'm sure they're going to uh, go a little bit more into detail uh, as the chapter goes on, which they do but is there anyone who would like to take a crack at maybe explaining a handful of them as this sentence is, uh, it's dense in my brain. What the system of representation comprises three elements that vary in depth, the repressed representative. What is that? Anyone would like to, then there's the repressing representation and the displaced represented. This feels, uh, well, Back to...
1: they, they mentioned that before, uh, I can't exactly find place that they uh, they referred to those before. So this is something that's come up previously. Can you guys hear me? Say that one more time. C- can you hear me?
0: Maybe. Your, no. Your your mic is extremely hilariously loud. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Let's see if I can fix that. Um. Is just it? move it like uh, another inch or two away from your face, instead of in your mouth or down your throat, which apparently is where it was.
3: <laughs> uh, is this any better?
0: Um, no. I mean, it's it's fine. It's uh, it's a little distorted and and robotic, but we'll survive.
3: Oh, great. Well, then I might not be the best person to make this point then. But uh, I just I was wondering if we want to work backwards because the displaced represented. To me, seems to indicate what they were talking about in the last chapter. So the what, what is displaced is the and what is repressed in the in the previous chapter they talked about it's not an originary like image or you know idea like Oedipus, but just design production itself. But then that gets becomes represented, I guess, through edibilization. And then I would see the repressing representation as that. That's the, the representation that actually represses that originary process. And then I don't know what, what the repressed representative would be, but I'm, I'm wondering if it would make sense to work backwards.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a good approach. Well,
0: uh, the I I think I get the concept of the repressed representative, the repressing representation, uh, the, the nature of how these desires play, and but the displaced representative is also where I'm having trouble, and it feels like if I it feels like the thing that's going to solidify the other two. And uh, I can't find any references in it. Uh, I've got Holland open. I've got multiple other uh, analyses of this section and of this book. And they don't seem to actually talk about the displaced represented as a, at least uh, not in those words. Uh, so So it's a tough one.
1: So I've just found on page 176, 177. You know, uh, they talked about the absolute limit and the relative limit, then the real limit and the imaginary limit, and then the displaced limit. So, um, you know, in terms of the Lacanian system, you know, it's real, imaginary, and symbolic. So the displaced limit needs probably related to the symbolic somehow.
0: It, it definitely relates, so Archea our, our in the chat, uh, it definitely relates to incest, the, the short version of what Holland says. Uh, here again, the tripartite semiotic of the post-structuralist critique of representation is critical. Uh, debt system is the repressing representation of desire. The debt system is the repressing representation of desire on one hand, and that taboo against incest, which is the displaced represented of desire, produces by repressing representation itself on the other. Uh, These things are the sort of system that is causing the back and forth, the debt system, the taboo against incest work against each other (laughs) or work with each other to produce uh, the repressing representation itself. And that's the part my brain is not, that sentence is nightmarish.
2: You know, I, I'm kind of thinking about this in terms of um, social and psychic repression, which probably seems obvious, but I think the repress, I, th- I think working backwards is probably what made sense here. The displaced represented sounds like um, what you're moving away from through representation, What's what has been displaced rather than what you're displacing onto. Uh, the repressing representation that sounds like the, uh, the the signifier, like the uh, sort of the despot signifier that's going to do the repressing, and then the repressed representative. That seems to be, I think, Oedipus. So, like, if I'm understanding this correctly, the displaced represented would be something like the like a desire, like desiring production, the, rep, the repressing representation. Would seem to be like I think the relationship of like uh, the Oedipal uh, mother and then the repressed representative would seem to be like the tab the incest taboo itself, but that that's just a shot at trying to open it up.
0: Well, and, and later Holland talks about uh, the way that these sort of uh, seem to work together, at least as he's and I I, I just pasted uh, the chat the paragraph in chat. Um, the important part is uh, he's talking about kind of the switch between the three types of socios to capital. Uh, incest has indeed captured desire, but in a system where royal incest, as repressing representation, prohibits common incest as its displaced represented, where the repressed representative of desire now appears to revolt against the freedom of the despot, Oedipal incest has still not yet become the representative of desire itself. Uh, so now turn to examine the conditions that lead Oedipus to complete its migration from a mere displaced represented under savagery to the repressed representation under despotism to become the very representative of desire in a system that will come to occupy all three. Uh, so the idea is, as he's, as he's writing about it, um, under savagery, uh, Ed, incest basically drops in, hits desire, and makes it displaced representative. Uh, Displaced representative. Ah, These words are going to be terrible for me to say. Um, From the mere displaced representative, uh, which is a terrible, uh, awkward word, uh, it moves from there where it's displaced because that's sort of the nature of debt and how incest plays inside of that, towards the repressing representation under despotism because they have to Uh, do that to become the very representative of desire in the system of capitalism which actually encompasses all three ultimately
4: yeah and also we talked about it uh, last week in the review session um, because um, it's part of the conditions of oedipalization uh, especially um the second and the third part. So they are writing on page 206 in the Bloomsbury edition, for Oedipus to be occupied it is not enough that it be a limit or a displaced representative in the system of representation. It must migrate to the heart of the system and itself come to occupy the position of the representative of desire.
0: The lens to be looking at this through, just to sort of say that slightly different, uh, we're still at the point where we're discussing how the Oedipalization of society occurs in capitalism, where these desires come from, how they effectively morph over time. And the concept they're talking about in this, especially in this section, is that representation, always social and psychic repression of desiring production We need to be discussing about how these things are exercised they're exercised in three primary ways they outline them and we're talking about here that incest begins in a place that plays with uh, debt uh, because it's ultimately a displaced representation of desire Uh, and then it morphs underneath the despot uh, into a thing that uh, one second to say again um, that where it is directly repressing the representation of desire and then under capitalism it becomes basically the the essence of desire itself the representation itself is that close
1: no yeah it makes sense
0: it's, it's for me the the difficulty i'm having because i don't have the background freud and the understanding of edipalization i think as much as I probably should. Um, when they're discussing sort of this happening over time uh, and the real edipalization of society, it becomes very difficult for my brain to connect the pieces.
1: Uh, but one, one important point is that um, they're seeing the, the edipolization as a dynamic process rather than a static thing. So in Freudianism and in Lacan, it's it more static. The idea of it so it's interesting they're they're making a dynamic process
0: yes and i think they're talking about um, and they've been talking about this entire uh, section um this entire chapter is about how these things are shifting over time and the dynamic intensities, to to steal their own word for it, of the different aspects of how Oedipalization affects desire within these different societies, and how that changes over time through the representation of these desires, how the desires get repressed, how we move into a place where uh, we begin looking at things that are ultimately representations of representations, uh, a la Capital. Um, all right, I'll, I will move on to the next paragraph, and if anyone has a thought
2: before you do just a final thought then um, I'm wondering though like if this section doesn't seem to focus on Oedipus as much here um, and I'm thinking that when we're talking about territorial representation especially when they get into the triangle around the theater of cruelty and that I think that's where we might be able to see the, the these three uh, aspects of the system of representation Uh come into play more and it might be easier when we're looking at at that uh paragraph to see what these three items do um because i don't i think this is going to play out through the, the what they're calling the primitive society here rather than the edible wise society
0: i think that's fair uh holland says of this entire section uh, the main thrust of Deleuze and Guattari's genealogical critique of Oedipus is to break out of the stifling confines of the nuclear family and restore the analysis of desire to its full social historical context. Uh, To quote, to discover beneath the familial reduction the nature of the social investments of the unconscious. Once the Oedipus complex is understood as the application of essentially capitalist social investments to the intimate sphere of the family, the tasks of schizoanalysis are to examine how axiomatization, decoding, and recoding themselves inform desire, and to explore the conditions under which the untrammeled desire of schizophrenia could be marshaled with the counteract and dispel the forces of paranoia in society at large. Uh, which I love that section from Holland. It's it's the only thing that is helping me get through this whole chapter, but... um, uh, Ultimately, we're talking at this point about the genealogy of Oedipus, uh, how it how it morphs over time, as Kent said. But this section, I think, is is specifically talking about uh, the territorialization of representation. Uh, which, I mean, it's the title of it. But um, we get deeply into debt and the discussion here about how debt moves between uh, people inside of the. Uh, well, we'll get we'll get to it. I'm jumping way ahead. Apologies. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, The principal factor in each of these respects is the type or genus of social inscription, its alphabet, its characteristics. The inscription on the socius is in fact the agent of a secondary psychic repression, or repression in the proper sense of the term, that is necessarily situated in relation to the desiring inscription of the body without organs, and in relation to the primary repression that the latter already performs in the domain of desire, a relation that is essentially variable. There is always social repression, refoulement. But the apparatus of repression varies, depending on the particular depending in particular on what plays the role of the representative on which the repression is brought to bear. In this sense, it is possible that the primitive codes, at the moment they are acting on the flows of desire with a maximum of vigilance and extension, binding them in a system of cruelty, maintain an infinitely greater affinity with desiring machines than does the capitalist axiomatic, which nonetheless liberates the decoded flows. This is because in the primitive socius, desire is not yet trapped, not yet introduced into a set of impasses. The flows have lost none of their polyvocity, and the simple represented in representation has not yet taken the place of the representative. In order to evaluate in every instance of nature, In every instance, the nature of the apparatus and its effects on desiring production, it is therefore necessary to take into account not only the elements of representation as they are organized in depth, but the manner in which representation itself is organized at the surface, on the inscription surface of the socius.
2: One thing I thought was kind of interesting here is the way they're expanding on this connection between desire machines and social machines, and, and um, in the same vein on the body without organs and the socius, because it looks like to me that um, when it comes to understanding territorial representation, the what the socius has inscribed—excuse me, what is inscribed on the socius. And its relationship to psychic repression, in the sense of like what gets psychically um, pushed into the uh, pushed outside of consciousness, right, or like denied, is almost secondary to the way that the body without organs is doing um, a sort of primary uh, kind of repression.
1: I think, I think here the key sentence is that uh, <clears throat> this is because in the primitive socialist desire is not yet trapped, not yet introduced into a set of impasses, the flows have lost none of their polyvocicity and the single repressed rep- representation has not yet taken the place of the representation.
0: Agreed, yes.
1: Can you expand slightly on that? Well, I just, I just think that they're what they're saying is that, you know, as we go along, you know, it's kind of like the system locks up further and further and further. This, uh, this system of repression, and uh, they're saying that the in the primitive situation that rep- that uh, repression has not yet started locking up in the double in the sets of double boxes. Yeah,
2: I I think that's fair. Um, It also strikes me, too, that when they say the simple representative and representation is not yet taking the place of the representative, to me, like, too, what they're kind of getting at here is, um, like, that abstract axiomatic is missing here. There's still a way, I think they get into this more when they talk about oral and written cultures. Uh, It seems like there is a way that... Um, this circulation of the um, uh, of the I suppose this would be like the, the signified at least if we just want to focus on the third um, synthesis. But either way, the, the circulation is not occurring at that axiomatic level, like Ken's saying. It's still in a, um, it's still in the the world, so to speak.
4: Yeah, but it's very simple. So the desire. Uh, for example, for uh, or a non specific desire is al- already identified, maybe as a sexual desire, um, and taken for that, it has already some kind of meaning, but it is not yet um, over represented in the way of uh, that it's an Oedipus complex or something like that.
2: Yeah, and that's that seems to be connected with this, this element of the socius not being trapped or in a system in a set of impasses. Like there's still a way that under this repression, um, I think they even make the point that social machines and desiring machines and like the even the death instinct or death drive um, aren't circulating in conjunction with like the territorializing of decoded flows or um, of the Oedipal representation.
0: All right, uh, would anyone like to read the next paragraph? Jack, how, yeah, about, how you?
2: about you? I I'll volunteer if no one else will.
0: <laughs> You're doing yeah. it.
2: All right. <laughs> Let me just position this so I'm not reading at an angle anymore. Society is not exchangeist. The socius is inscriptive, not exchanging, but marking bodies, which are part of the earth. We have seen that the regime of debt directly resulted from this savage inscription. For debt is the unit of alliance, and alliance is representation itself. It is alliance that codes the flows of desire, and that, by means of debt, creates for man a memory of words, paroles. It is alliance that represses, yeah. It is alliance that represses the great, intense, mute filiative memory, the germinal influx as the representative of the non-coded flows of desire, capable of submerging everything. It is death that articulates the alliances with affiliations that have become extended in order to form and to forge a system extension representation based on the repression of nocturnal intensities. The alliance debt answers to what Nietzsche described as humanity's prehistoric labor, the use of the cruelest mnemotonics in naked flesh to impose a memory of words founded on the ancient biocosmic memory. That is why it is so important to see debt as a direct consequence of the primitive inscription process, instead of making it and the inscriptions themselves into an indirect means of universal exchange.
1: Yeah, one thing that we have to remember here is that we're talking about a gift economy. And these debts that they're talking about are the, the, the debts that are created if, you know, you're given a gift, then you have to reciprocate. I apologize if it's
3: just because I've been absent for so long, but can somebody just give a brief thing of the alliances and representation that that first line alliances representation itself? I'm just trying to refresh on that.
1: Well, 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 they're aligning. You know, uh, okay. So they were talking about the repressed representative and the repressing representation and the displaced represented. So it seems like they're aligning alliance and affiliation. With these ideas, so they're saying that the the alliance is the representation itself, um, uh, and then they're associating associating the filiation with the uh, the representative.
0: Well, I'll take a crack at that because it is it's, it's a, it is important to go over really quick because we're talking ultimately about, at this point, and I hate the word, savagery. Uh, and I'm going to quote from Holland here. Savage social organization is actualized by a system of inscription that Deleuze and Guattari call a system of cruelty. The temptation of direct appropriation of the matter, energy flows of life, is so great and so immediate, and the requirement of obedience to the social group so strong that the laws of savage anti-production, exogamy, no immediate consumption, are branded directly in the flesh of the body. Luz and Guattari ex- suggest that an enormous amount of pain and cruelty are required to forge a collective memory powerful enough to overcome the appeal of unmediated life. Uh, when they talk here in the specific sentence, I think you're referring to is, for debt is the unit of alliance and alliance is representation itself. Um, we are talking about uh, the way that families become indebted to each other uh through marriage the way that alliances are formed through that debt becomes the unit but through marriage through alliances uh that is the savage inscription so we the alliance itself is how debt is sort of makes itself known in this space does that make more sense
5: isn't it the other way around like the alliance
0: works through debt uh, yes, that may be how I phrase it. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, uh, alliances work through debt. Debt being the uh, the form of it. But alliance, But the phrase here, alliances representation itself, sort of expands that. What people are talking about is alliances, but the actualization of it is debt. Debt is the unit of it. <laughs> Uh, to say, as Jack is saying, alliance codes flows as debt. I like that. I think that, does that work? Is that fair, Triad?
1: So I think an interesting part of this uh, uh, paragraph is where it says, uh, you know, it says alliance is representation itself. The It is alliance that codes the flows of desire. And that, by means of debt, creates for man a memory of word. And so I would say that these words that we're talking about are the kinds of words that are said, for instance, when you get married and say, I do. Um, those are the kind of words that we're talking about, the words that seal contract.
0: Let me try it. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more of what you were saying in response because it's uh if i'm misreading this i'd love to have that that chat because this is uh really important stuff for the foundation of it
1: Uh, are you questioning me or a triad triad sorry
0: yeah Sorry, I, I didn't know yeah, it wasn't picking yeah, sorry, me up, apologies. I, had,
4: um, I didn't have uh, anything to say to this chapter yet, uh, but yeah, it's, it's complicated, this passage. I don't really know.
5: I think um, Alyosha was the one who asked earlier.
4: Oh, yes. Yes.
3: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling it through as much as the rest of you. I was looking at that. I guess I'm sort of getting the, the alliance. Is, is this connected to what they were saying about preventing? Is the, the, the reason the alliance is representation, is, and we think of representation as a repressing process, is it because of what they say about like other social formations always trying to prevent the real limit, a.k.a. you know capital, which would liberate all the, the, the flows? Uh, in an unsustainable way or whatever. So like in that way, that alliance is representation and that the words that are inscribed or the the flows of desire that by means of debt creates for man a memory of words is that I heard what Kent said about the marriage thing, but could it also be like linked to theology as well? Like how, at least in their framework, whether it corresponds to reality or not, I don't know. But in their framework that this would be sort of like, I don't know, I'm thinking of, I don't want to use like Christian uh, frameworks, but you know what I mean—like theological, uh, spiritual understandings of like the the end of the world or the end of society that is associated with that real limit.
5: Um. So I I don't know if that's an actually an answer to anything but I think kind of a missing link or something we are not really talking about yet is that they kind of well when they talked first about alliance and filiation they kind of agreed with Levi Strauss to say that the 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 that the um, Structural purpose, the function of the incest taboo, is the are the alliances like it's always this this um, thing about alliances between groups of men. That's Livy Strauss, and I think they put a spin on it, which I didn't really get but i think they kind of but but they emphasize this over the importance of filiation which is more important in psychoanalysis i think and then we i think this whole alliance is representation thing needs to be contextualized with um, representation and incest um, and then again, here is the thing that goes against Lévi-Strauss the first sentence in this paragraph. Society is not exchanged, the socialist is inscriptive. Lévi-Strauss says society is exchanged because women are exchanged. So here he goes to say there it, it, it isn't an, about an exchange, but it is about an inscription. So I think we need to uh, connect this Somehow I can't really do it, but
0: just to collect some points. So to add, um, when they're talking about uh, the alliances and they're talking about uh, the inscription on the socius, the thing they go deeply into, and they've, they've done it in a few earlier sections, and they go a lot deeper in this one, uh, we will see it, is the idea that people uh, in savage societies, uh, oh. that word, Um, that their entire, uh, the, the past debt that they have towards the world can be traced back multiple generations because they are able to, here is how my family and my lineage is related to all the other lineages and my people. Uh, this is how their flows are coded. The, the, the desire flows and. The goal within the savage systems is uh, ultimately to figure out how to cap desire because you can't just allow, no one can just allow desire to flow freely. So you try to cap it in some way. Their version of it is through uh, all sorts of uh, uh, crazy rituals, all sorts of cool shit that they do, feasts and human sacrifice and animal sacrifice, all these things combined. But that they're, they're also, they have this debt through the the past, and they're able to look back and actually trace themselves to the beginning of time and the creation of all uh, is actually how they really view a lot of that. Um, and they talk about that earlier. There's a handful of uh, African tribes they discussed earlier and how marriage works between them. They're going to be getting into uh, the Burmese and uh, their systems, uh, that their their debt is ultimately in the past, and it's when we think about debt, the the word is an awkward one. And again, I wish Roger was in here because I think it's I think it's a translation thing that would be worth discussing, and we could probably spend an hour on the word alone. But how I read a lot of this is when they're talking about debt, they're talking about my personal ties and the things I'm required to do based on what has come before me, my debt to the world as a person. And savage, the savage people, they uh, the people who live in these primitive uh, societies. Uh, their their repression is happening based on that debt that they owe and that they must continue. They have to continue to move forward. So, uh, yes, I, I think Jack's point here, the territorializing machine interacts with the socius to represent the alliance that circulation occurs through debt. The that's the, As I'm getting it, that is the idea of how debt and alliances play, is that there's a mutual interplay between how all of those things can be traced back ultimately to... Really, the beginning of time and the beginning of everything. At least I'm able to do that. It's very complex. Uh, these relations are not simple. It's very complex stuff.
1: I, I, I think, you know, it might be good to call it like social debt because it has to do with the debt in the gift giving. And then, and then I just like to say that, you know, one of the things that makes all this confusion, uh, confusing is the, is the the use of representation the representative and the represented which all sound exactly the same but uh like for instance the representation is pro that's the one that has to do with alliance and that's probably the sign and then the the representative is to do with the fillative and that's probably the carrier because the re- it's reproduction that's producing the the bodies that are carrying the sign, and then the and then the 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 representative is the object of the uh, you know. And I, I don't I don't understand what their what the parallelism to the object is here. Yet. Okay. On, on, on the, on- things.
5: I posted a section from Holland earlier, I may, maybe I should just read it, because there he defines these terms repressing representation, displaced representative and repressed representative um, very clearly. And it's it's it goes in the direction you're talking about. We have um, the repressing representation, which is the signifier of the prohibition incest Oedipus, and we have the displaced representative, which would be um, the signified, which is not this, uh, and then we have uh, as the third term the repressed representative, which is the referent, which is obviously not the same as the the displaced representative, uh, i.e. the uh, signified because the signified is part of the repressing system
1: okay so that the the uh, okay so based on that can we just say that the the representation related to alliance is the sign the the representative uh is related to the fillative and that's i was calling that a carrier but you're saying that's the referent
0: Sorry, I, I, I tuned out for a moment.
1: And then, and then the answer is yes.
0: I think the answer is yes, Kent.
1: And then the, the, the represented, the displays are represented is the signified, which I was calling the object. So so I think by, by, you know, with this paragraph from Holland and by switching the terms a little bit so that the terms are not the same thing repeated over it, you know, we can kind of clarify what they're talking about, which is which is semiotics. They're talking about semiotics, but but the what's different here is that there is a uh, this third term, the referent, or what I was calling the carrier, which is the representative. Um, I'm not quite sure what that is, but they're relating it to the yeah. You know, well,
0: there's there's yep. a part of this I, uh, something that I am because I really like this this section from Holland I was reading right around it earlier actually so one one of the things I know at Deleuze and Guattari really spend a lot of time on is not talking so much about what things are but instead what they produce and so if we're talking about the idea of instead of a signifier a signified and a referent we're talking actually what those as if each one were a machine and what they're producing that the signifier is actually repressing representation that is the machine that is what it's doing as a thing the signified is displacing the representative and the referent is repressed is the very thing the repressed itself the repressed representative
1: so so I i think right now it might be good to give a little bit of background that uh you know, in uh, uh there's only two terms. There's the signifier and the signified, right? And so, um, you know, so there's the the, sig- the the signifier is sign, and the signified is what the sign's pointing to. Um, now, Purse has a, a three-way uh, semiotic where where you have the uh, the signifier and the signified, but you also have the interpretant, right? Which is the um, which is the meaning, right? But but this is a different system of semiotics, where uh, and so it's 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 kind of interesting that it's ne- neither Saussure nor Peirce. It's a different one that they're that they're talking about.
5: I'm not sure that works. I, I'm pretty sure that their reference here is Levi-Strauss and uh, structuralist anthrop- uh, ethnology, anthropology, yeah. and I think um, that ha- has a concept of the referent. I have only have passing knowledge of that stuff, but I think this is all well within structuralist
1: frameworks. What, what, what does the referent mean? Well, the
5: referent is the thing in the world, if we say, if we, if we, if we want to, yeah, well, in both the signifier and the signified are mental, if we, if we want to talk in these categories, like we have, um, and uh, it's actually very similar to how uh, Freud earlier um, uh, structures consciousness with I can't. I don't know the. I, I barely can talk about the terms in German. I don't know the proper translation. Sorry, that's this has yeah, to be. Yeah, maybe
1: we should uh, look for um, some somebody who's described the semiotics of Levi Strauss because I, you know, I, I think you're right that this must be uh, what Levi Strauss says, uh, but it's hard to align it with, you know, De Sausser or Purse
5: the thing the thing i think the thing with um with uh, structuralism with de uh, saussure and uh, levi-strauss both is that they are not really interested in the um referent well they, they are aware that this thing is somehow relevant in the real world but they are only interested in the in how the system works and the system works within those two um um, 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 a series of the signifier and the signified, the uh, the reference outside of this system.
1: Right. But but what's crazy here is, is that the referent is the philative So so the referent here is the, um, you know the the, the you know the, the human beings produced by reproduction. It's not a thing out there in the world. It's the it's the actual carrier of the symbolic system. And that's that's what what I think is But anyway, it, it, it seems it seems like the key point is that it's gonna take some research to figure out what this semiotic system is they're talking
0: I think let's uh let's do that tomorrow. I'll actually spend a little bit of time. There's there's uh a lot we're going to be going through here that I think is going to be good reference material, uh, over the next few paragraphs, uh, because they get deeply into Levi Strauss very quickly here, (laughs) very quick. So uh, it'll probably be good reference for us to look up and then discuss tomorrow during our review. Good.
3: Can you guys hear me? Could I do the next paragraph?
0: Please. Perfect. Your mic sounds great, by the way. (laughs)
3: I've been working out, you know, my mic's been working out. Um, There is a question that Marcel Mauss at least left open. Is debt primary in relation to exchange, or is it merely a mode of exchange, a means in the service of exchange? But Levi-Strauss seems to have closed the question again with a categorical reply. Debt is no more than a superstructure, a conscious form whereby the unconscious social reality of exchange is converted into cash. What is involved is not a theoretical uh, discussion of the first principles of anthropology. The whole notion of social practice and the postulates conveyed by this practice are at issue here and the whole problem of the unconscious. For if exchange underlies everything, why is it that what takes place looks like anything but an exchange? Why must it be a gift or a counter gift and not an exchange? And why is it necessary that the giver also be in the position of someone who has been robbed, so as to demonstrate clearly that he does not expect an exchange, not even a deferred exchange? It is theft that prevents the gift and the counter gift from entering into an exchangeist relation. Desire knows nothing of exchange. It knows only theft and gift at Times the one within the other under the effect of a primary homosexuality, thus the anti exchangeist amorous machine encountered by Joyce in exile and by Kosowski and Roberta in Gorma ideology. It is as though a wife could only be given, uh, I don't know how to say this, the lit or carried away, kidnapped, hence, in a certain sense, stolen. The lit every union that could. To manifestly appear to be the result of a direct exchange between two lineages or lineage segments is in this society, if not prohibited, at least widely disapproved of.
1: Yeah. So, so, so this is the the problem, which is that there's an incommensurability between gift economy and the uh, and the kind of money economy that we have, and uh, and so a lot of times. The, the gift economy gets reduced to the money economy, but uh, a lot of the subtleties of the gift economy get lost in that translation.
2: I think it's worth keeping in mind here too, the, um, the concluding sentence from the previous paragraph. That is why it is so important to see debt as a direct consequence of the primitive inscription process instead of making it, and the inscriptions themselves, into an indirect means of universal exchange. So it seems like um, a major aspect of this is going to be, at least this section as I was reading it, it seemed to me to be saying like we can't understand uh, primitive territorializing or the territorial representations in these societies by imposing um, capitalist uh, exchangism on them
1: so so one of the things to keep in mind is that this economy is a barter economy and there's no money and so then you have communities that have to set up the 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 kind of possibility of a change for the barter. And so the way that was done seems to be through gifts. So you would give gifts to the other. That would mean you have to get together to get the gifts. And and then in the wake of that, then the barter can take place.
2: Well, gift and theft, right, interestingly enough. um... They also introduced theft. Um, but yeah, there's. we're not talking commodities here. We're not talking money. Like you're saying, we're talking about um, a, a different economic system.
1: And then the, the whole thing about theft, um, you know, in the Indo-European uh, culture, uh, marriage was kidnapping. And so... Um, you know it's it, it, the, the, you know the sources of marriage were not contract uh, in that system and so you know I, you know I, I don't quite understand it all but it's it's you know what we have to keep in mind is that is a very different what they're pointing out here and what we have to keep in mind is it's a very different system that's incommensurable with the system we have today.
0: And I think that actually is the core point of that chapter. Uh, I mean, that that paragraph. It's it's for sure the point that they're making from that first sentence on. Um, I'd love to continue reading, though. Uh, I'll give it a shot, and then we'll find if anyone else wants to read. Will it be said that if desire knows nothing of exchange, it is because exchange is desire's unconscious? Will this be explained by the exigencies of generalized exchange? But what entitles one to declare that shares of debt are secondary compared with a totality that is more real? Yet exchange is known, well known in the primitive socius, but as that which must be exercised, encasted, severely restricted, so that no corresponding value can develop as an exchange value that would introduce the nightmare of a commodity economy. The primitive market operates through bargaining rather than by fixing an equivalent that would lead to a decoding of flows and a collapse of the mode of inscription on the socius. We are brought back to our point of departure. The fact that exchange is inhibited and exercised by no means attests to its primary reality, but demonstrates on the contrary that the essential process is not exchanging, but inscribing or marking. And when exchange is made into an unconscious reality, structural rights are invoked in vain, along with the necessary inadequation of attitudes and ideologies in relation to the structure. For one does nothing more than hypostatize the principles of an exchangeist philosophy to account for institutions that, on the other hand, are recognized to be non-exchangeist. And above all, what is made of the unconscious itself if not its explicit reduction to an empty form, from which desire itself is absent and expelled. Such a form can serve to define a pre-conscious, but certainly not unconscious. For if it is true that the unconscious has no material or content, this is assuredly not because it is an empty form, but rather because it is always and already a functioning machine, a desiring machine, and not an anorexic structure. Hey, look, they're finally really making that big point about the unconscious being a production and material reality. Only halfway through the book. Excellent. Hypostatize. Uh, seems to mean making an instantiation here. I uh, I have no idea what that word means. I'm looking it up right now. If anyone would like to talk, it would be great. Uh, you- I was thinking in the chat that
3: this section seems to be much more straightforwardly Marxist in a way that actually makes it easier to understand for me that w- when they're talking about uh you know the, the, the stuff the primitive market operates through bargaining rather than by fixing and lead to a decoding of flows like to me that recalls you know a lot of what Marx talks about about the, the problem of creating forms of exchange that have that can be universally uh, abstracted and Devalue all things essentially because they can be calculated in relation to this abstract exchange, and then uh, what was this next thing they said? Yeah, just the anyway. I, I lost my place, but oh yeah, this we, we are brought back to our point of departure: the fact that exchanges and exercise attest to its primary reality, and that feels like they're just sort of making a bit more subtle and fine-tuning. Uh, I think what's quite an orthodox Marxist point that you know you would obviously not look at. That kind of exchange, and then try and claim that it's an originary reality. Because even in like Hegelian superstructuralist forms of Marxist thinking, there's obvious stages to get to that point. So I think in trying to like unify those two things, at least from my mind, this this kind of coming out of the ethnography uh, anthropology kind of uh, history that they're using, this actually makes it really easy for me to understand. No, of course it's not ex- just because exchange is inhibited or exercised. Does that's not doesn't mean that that is a primary reality at all. That seems to make sense to me.
2: So yeah, I think that's an awesome analysis because you're right. This is like Das Capital Chapter One, right? The value forms. And this is something I, I think Marx is kind of weakened in that chapter is he doesn't really go too deeply into like the uh, the bartering that we're talking about here or this primitive economy. He moves more quickly into how money becomes a necessity, and how the value forms interplay from that um, that kind of necessity.
1: So, so there's a good book uh, by Gao on symbolic economies that describe this uh, this process by which the money is created, starting with a barter economy, but uh, I don't think in Marxism the 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 nature of the gift economy at that point was understood very well, and uh, and so like you just said, I mean they quickly depart from the barter economy without completely understanding it into the uh, into the, the exchange economy. And and what I think that Deleuze and Guattari are p- pointing out here is that this. Um, this this barter economy is a lot more complex than than it was given credit for.
2: Well, and there's also an implicit point that March seems to to start with the idea that the barter economy leads to this really big problem, right? It leads to the big problem of we don't have a way of comparing a goat with a coat, if you'll allow the rhyme. Um Rather, I, I think we can say probably more easily, how do you compare a goat and a cow, right? And Marx kind of says that that's going to lead to the, the need for an intermediary um, uh, element, right, to, to commodification. But I think Deleuze and Guattari's point, and I think even in some ways um, in their critique of Levit here, is that actually this is a sustainable model that is doing something in and of itself because of territorializing because the representation uh, and even the repression is working through the filiative and the alliance um, and because of the way debt is constructed here as opposed to in capitalism this system is is actually quite um, uh, functioning.
0: Excellent. Um, Would anyone like to read the next paragraph or should I just dive in? And I'll just dive in. Oh, oh, I heard someone.
2: Uh, I'll volunteer if no one else will, just for purposes. Let's do it. Cool. Uh, We are on the difference between machine structure, correct?
1: That's right. Correct.
2: Thank you. That's what happens when you flip pages. The difference between machine and structure appears in the postulates that implicitly animate the structural and its changes conceptions of the socius, with the correctives that must be introduced into this conception so that the structure is able to function. First of all, when considering kinship structures... It is difficult not to proceed as though the alliances derived from the lines of affiliation and the relationships, although the lateral alliances and the blots of debt condition the extended affiliations in the system in extension and not the opposite. Secondly, there is a tendency to make the system in extension into a logical, combinative arrangement instead of taking it for what it is, a physical system where intensities are distributed, where some cancel out and block a current, where others cause the current to circulate, etc. The objection according to which the qualities developed in the system are not only physical objects, quote, but also honors, responsibilities, privileges, end quote, seem to indicate a misunderstanding of the role of the incommensurable elements and the inequalities in the conditions of the system. More precisely, in the third place, the structural exchanges conception tends to postulate a kind of primary equilibrium of prices, a primary equivalence or equality in the underlying principles, which allows it to explain that the inequalities are necessarily introduced in the consequences.
0: I, I love this section. Uh, I'm going to actually just say, we. I'm going to go with Alyosha. I'm going to agree we just keep moving because the next thing comes back to explain some more. So I'm going to dive into the next paragraph, and we will discuss, I think, at that point, all of this. Uh, so please bear with us. Nothing is more significant in this regard than the controversy between Levi Strauss and Leach concerning the Kachin marriage system. Invoking a conflict between the egalitarian conditions of generalized exchange and its aristocratic consequences, Levi Strauss acts as though he thought the system were in a state of equilibrium. However, the problem is altogether different. It is a question of knowing if the disequilibrium is pathological and a manifestation of consequences, as Levi Strauss maintains, more functional and fundamental, as Leach argues. It is the instability derived in relation to an ideal of exchange. Or is it already given in the preconditions included in the heterogeneity of the terms that compose the prestations prestations and counter-prestations? The more one directs one's attention to the economic and political compromises conveyed by the alliances, to the nature of the counter-prestations that come to compensate the disequilibrium of of the prestations of wives, And generally, the original manner in which the aggregate of prestations is evaluated in a particular society, the more clearly the necessarily open nature of the system in extension appears, as is the case of the primitive mechanism of surplus value as a surplus value of code. But, and this is the fourth point, the exchangeist conception finds it necessary to postulate a closed system statistically closed, and to shore up a structure with a psychological conviction, confidence that the cycle will reclose. Thus, not only the essential opening of the blocks of debt according to the lateral alliances and the successive generations, but above all, the relationship of the statistical formations to their molecular elements, find themselves brought back to the simple empirical reality, insofar as it is not adequate to the structural model. Ah, let me take a moment.
1: So I think that what's interesting here is that basically they seem to be saying that Levi-Strauss is making the same kind of a fun- assumptions as Mark- Marxian economics in in thinking of this as a kind of a closed abstract system rather than looking at the details of of how it actually functions.
0: Well, to mention uh the book that they're referencing here is the political systems of highland burma a study of kachin kachin social structure by leach uh the reviews of the book i have yet to find a pdf of it feel free to post uh are fascinating and specifically the review i really like uh it ends with uh The book is thought-provoking. It suggests new methods to grapple with the problem of analyzing and recording data on social systems within change. A problem which the author himself confesses led him to great difficulties is is that of presenting this complex material in a usable form. The entire book is effectively him breaking down this incredibly complex in and out how the entire society works. And the reference in the second paragraph to the idea of it being a closed system, this kind of... Faith that those people have uh, the kitchens have that these things will be fixed in time if i I put out my present at this point and I get something back that there is kind of a faith that these things come back around that the system is closed that these things will ultimately close at some point The hyper complexity of the systems actually got a lot of very very important material reality and it's a really I'm really looking forward to reading this PDF because it seems like it made some significant, Pushes in uh, the ethnology of all of this. Actually, a lot of things.
2: I don't know if we have the time to go through all four of these points. Um, in terms of like uh, what what the functionality is able to grasp, but the structurality is not able to, right? But I did think the first one was quite interesting in terms of like um right the lateral alliances and the blocks of debt condition the extended affiliations in the system in extension and not the opposite now, that is to say like the way alliances are working and the block the blocks of debt that are conditioning uh so like right like the, this kind of referent or not referent uh this kind of like representation Um, of alliance and the the debt that comes with that or like the the things that are owed that are like um, circulating here with the socius that that's actually working on how affiliations will progress and how they're kind of um, going to continue as opposed to affiliation working on the alliance
0: One of the lines I really like uh, from the book that they're referencing with Leach, just to read. I'm I'm sorry, I'm diving deep into this. Uh, A study of Keichen social organization cannot proceed in the classical manner, which treated culture groups as social isolates. Uh, He specifically is talking about the multiple strata within Burma, uh, which were previously, because they didn't interact very often, treated as isolates. Political systems of Highland Burma: A Study of Kachin Social Structure. That is the book. Yes, Triad. Um, the the ability to actually talk about how all of these things in the larger system and and the way that the, they complexly work together, despite seemingly not uh, on the surface, is very interesting. I really like. Really gonna. I'm gonna read the shit out of this. At some
2: point. Well, it's interesting too because, like, what I'm kind of getting out of these two paragraphs is that the notion of exchange here is almost is actually so it looks like exchange is being repressed to an exchangeist. But if you step outside of that and look at the functions of what things are doing, it's actually that it's um, the notion of exchange is being used to um, to repress how this the system is actually working.
1: I'd, I'd like to just uh, mention that pre-stations, counter-pre-stations, pre-stations are uh, in feudal law a rent or tax uh, due paid in kind or in service. So I would never heard that word for pre-stations.
0: Uh, The last sentence in this uh, chapter, as I'm reading more on Leach, I think I misread it. Um, I don't mean literally misread. I think my brain misinterpreted. Um, uh, This is the fourth point. The exchange's conception finds it necessary to postulate a closed system, statistically closed, and to shore up structure with a psychological conviction. Thus, not only is essentially opening of the blocks of debt according to lateral reliances and successive generations, but above all, relationship... They seem to be actually saying that, uh, as Leach, to quote Leach, um, in practical field work situations, the anthropologist must always treat the material of observation as if it were part of an overall equilibrium. All I am asking is that the fictional nature of this equilibrium be frankly recognized. Uh, seems like they're joining him in saying that no, there is that. That's the, the assumption that comes with assuming that there is a uh, equilibrium in all of it is itself actually problematic which is fair
2: mm. yeah that's that's contemporary economics or even like classical right that, that the way price and quantity um, I'm going to inflict a little bit of economics on you the way like supply and demand and price and quantity relate is to tend toward an equilibrium so anything that's you know, not an equilibrium is going to move that way. It's like a center of gravity in that system. But what I like about um, Deleuze and Watery here is they're point out that it looks like the disequilibrium of the system, where, where theft and gift is at play instead of quantity and um, and price uh, or exchange, um, is is actually more necessary than equilibrium in that sense.
0: Well, and, and it seems what Leach does in his book, uh, again, to quote, uh, postulates that the confusion of a reali- of reality arises from the interpenetration of unstable ideal systems. Uh, what it seems he does a lot in this writing, as I'm reading from reviews, so it's what people seem to have gotten of it at the time, is very heavily the idea that um, any single system, perhaps, uh, within a larger society may have some tendency towards equilibrium. But the reality is that the systems, uh, as they are sort of interacting with each other, don't. A sort of meta-system, if you will. And uh, that instead, the confusion of reality arises from the interpenetrations of unstable ideal systems. Not to quote him again.
2: Yeah, which is important because we're talking about... we are talking about a kind of debt economy here and that is intimately bound up in the alliance or the way that we in the society will deal with the political and the economic um, as opposed to dealing with our like heritage. And so like for for debt here and this kind of surplus value of code, this sort of like um, outflow of things, it does make sense to me that it wouldn't tend toward equilibrium because the surplus um It's not going to come to rest in that manner.
0: I like that. All right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and continue to read. Uh, All this depends, finally, on a postulate that burdens ethnology to the same extent that it has determined bourgeois political economy. The reduction of social reproduction to the sphere of circulation. One retains the apparent objective movement as it is described on the socius, without taking into account the real instance that describes it, and the forces, economic and political, with which it is inscribed. One fails to see that alliance is the form in which the socius appropriates the connections of labor in the disjunctive order of its inscriptions. From the viewpoint of the relations of production, in fact, the circulation of women appears as a distribution of labor capacity. But in the ideological representation that the society gives itself of its economic base, this aspect fades before the relations of exchange, which are, however, merely the form this distribution takes within the sphere of circulation. By isolating the moment of circulation in the reproduction process, ethnology ratifies this representation and grants bourgeois economy its whole colonial extension. In this sense, the essential things seem to us to be not exchange and circulation, which closely depend on the requirements of inscription, but inscription itself, which its imprint of fire, its alphabet inscribed in bodies, and its blocks of debt. The soft structure would never function, would never cause a circulation without the hard machinic element that presides over inscriptions.
2: I really like that, especially in relation re- relation to like the capitalist um, territorializing machine that's going to decode flows and that the way it territorializes, because um, if that's working on axioms, right? And there's this abstracting quality. I think it's what I'm saying here is that um, a major element of these um, of the functionality of, of territorialization that is getting abstracted. Um, is inscription itself, it seems.
0: That's how I read it as well. Alyosha. I know you're having thoughts in the chat. I'm not going to read them out. I'd love you to go over them, though. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, can you... Are you mean in response to what Jack, Jack was saying, or just in general? Just in general, uh, because it's a it's a great paragraph, and I'd love a little bit more analysis, because we're going to start charging through the next few paragraphs, which I think are more in support of how these Savage Formations exist and much more direct, and I think they're moving on to a new direction as we move through the rest of the section. So there's some finality to the notes of what we're discussing here. So I'd love to just go through it.
3: Yeah, I I, I think I was just having a section, I feel- a bit more clear kind of what's being said um but I, I was i think jack and i were talking in the chat a bit more about the idea of equilibrium and i was i was bringing in just from our other reading groups and stuff like that that thinking about how it, it, i was i thought it was deleuze but it's actually simondon who talks about the our reliance on conceptions of equilibrium as like the default natural state of rest of system and that that you know that leading to obviously like uh, discursive problems so I, I, we were taking that into Marx as well and talk, you know, I think they really productively use this idea of we shouldn't be looking at things in terms of, well, if there's a lack of equilibrium. Again, it goes back to the thing we've been saying this whole time that it, continually focusing on lack uh, as something that is actually the a gap or, or the, the lack of something rather than a, a produced uh, lacuna in a system means that you look at a supposed lack of equilibrium as a state of flux and chaos that is untenable will cannibalize itself rather than as something that is, you know, maybe it has a meta stable as that'll be the Simondon's words, I guess, or, or a different kind of unity that isn't about things, you know, all corresponding and coming to rest in this perfect way. But as you were saying, just that, uh, that they do serve a purpose, you know, and rather than look at it from an exchanges point of view, we're looking at it, you know, in terms of gift and theft and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if I had a ton of coherence, but I just, that's that idea of equilibrium is helping me, Or or that to not focus on, uh, overly focus on the idea of equilibrium in any systems, especially axiomatic systems that come later, as uh, Deleuze will say, that it's helpful for me to understand this.
0: Good. All right. I'm going to go ahead and continue. (sighs) Savage formations are oral, are vocal, but not because they lack a graphic system. A dance on the earth, a drawing on the wall, a mark on the body, or a graphic system. uh, Sorry, or a graphic system, a geographism, a geography. These formations are oral precisely because they possess a graphic system that is independent of the voice. A system that is not aligned on the voice and not subordinate to it, but connected to it. Coordinated in an organization that is radiating, as it were, and multidimensional. And it must be said that this graphic system is linear writing's contrary. Civilization cease being oral only through losing the independence of the particular dimensions of the graphic system. By aligning itself on the voice, graphism supplants the voice and induces a fictitious voice. Andre Leroy Gorhan, apologies for the anglicization of that, has admirably described these two heterogeneous poles as the, of the savage inscription process or territorial representation. The couple voice auditions voice audition and hand graphics. How does such a machine work? For it does work. The voice is like a voice of alliance to which, on the side of the extended filiation, a graphics is coordinated that bears no resemblance. The calabash of an excision is placed on the body of the young woman. Furnished by the husband's lineage, the calabash serves as a conductor for the voice of alliance. But the graphism must be traced by a member of the young woman's clan. The articulation of the two elements takes place on the body itself, and constitutes the sign, which is not a resemblance or imitation, nor an effect or signifier, but rather a position and a production of desire. In order for the young woman's transformation to be fully effective, A direct contact must take place between her stomach, on the one hand, and the calabash and the signs inscribed on her, on the other hand. The young woman must become physically saturated with the signs of procreation, and she must incorporate them. The young women are never taught the meaning of the ideograms during their initiation. The sign acts through its inscription in the body. The inscription of a mark on the body does not merely possess a message value here but it is an instrument of action that acts on the body itself. The signs command the things they signify, and far from being a mere imitator, the artisan of the signs accomplishes a work that calls to mind the divine creation. There's a lot to take out of here. Uh, I really would love to just say my. This is where I start, uh, for the first time I think in most, much of the book, start understanding when they talk about the inscri- inscribing on the body without organs, uh, on this on the socius. Uh, this feels like uh, a lot of their inspiration for language around that is that specific section, that specific. In order for the young woman's transformation to be effective, direct contact must take place. The story of what happens to her, how it's written on her, how the, the words themselves are almost meaningless. The, The ideograms, it's pointless. Uh, They they don't have direct meaning. The signs command the things they signify. The idea of that is such a powerful one. The signs command the things they signify. Far from being a mere imitator, the artisan of the signs accomplishes a work that calls to mind the divine creation.
2: I just fucking
0: love that. I fucking love that line. So when, when, because I know I get messaged, I've been messaged by six people this week. It happens often. And I have no idea why you're writing me. I'm stupid. Write, write Park Bench, write Roger, write someone else. Kent is great. Uh, but uh, so what what does it mean when they say inscribing on the socius? And I'm like, I have no idea. I've, I've started pointing towards this. Um, when they write on her body, uh, when they inscribe on her and they, they do these things, what happens? What is inscribed? how it works, uh, the operative nature of it feels like this paragraph is describing sort of the inspiration between that that language and that poetry. Really love that. Yeah,
2: but remember, we're talking about territorializing, which to me here looks like this is a way of, of, of the cruelty of ter- uh, a territorializing machine, making a person's body um, Or like, if you like, this is an interplay of desiring machines and social machines and the the cruelty that comes with putting them into um, a kind of production and in that way, transforming them.
0: Well, and they do with a little bit of word. And I'd love to know how the original translation does it, uh, because this feels like it's very much an English version of it. But uh, mark on the body are a graphic system, a geographism, a geography feels like uh, maybe it's a bit forced, but that literally the, the marks on the body is the territoriality and how they operate and how they work.
3: Yeah, I'm interested, I'm interested in it. maybe Jack, you can help of I really I, it's compelling, but I'm trying to piece through it of a graphic system, independent of voice that is not aligned in the voice and not subordinated to it, but connected to it, uh, radiating from it multi-dimensional and how they, they separate, you know, because you would, you would tend to think in the kind of commonsensical, literary, literal sense of it. You would think of graphic either maybe post or concurrent with what comes after oral. But I like, I'm kind of interested in what they're tr- saying here, that there's a, maybe, I, I don't know if you can help piece it together, but like a graphic sign system that corresponds to uh, orality in a way.
2: I, I can try. So what happens when writing is introduced, and I'm trying to think of the the author, it's like I'll have to look for it. And I can post in the chat later, but like there was, um, I think it was an anthropologist who talked to an oral culture um, people in an oral culture, and he asked them, like, you know, um, he asked them to fill in the the blank for a syllogism. So he said to them, uh, all of the polar bears. Let me see how this went. There are polar bears living in, I don't know, Vermont. All polar bears in Vermont are white. So then fill in the conclusion, what color is a polar bear um, if it's in Vermont? And the response was something like, dude, I've never been to Vermont. I don't know. Um, Like for, for an oral culture, things are more interwoven together where the world and you are not abstractable because, like, what writing allows us to do, and this is very useful because of that, it allows us to um, to do abstractions to say, like, oh yeah, you know what, I haven't been to to Vermont, but you know, I can do this kind of induction based on these like abstractions, and that's not necessarily to say that that's better or worse, that that's you know, it's better to be an oral culture. But there is a difference there, and there's something that's lost when you go to writing. Uh, there's also something gained, right? Um, so I, I guess I would say, like, this is the where they say earlier that desiring flow, production still has its polyvosity. That's what I think they're talking about, is there's that this way that these these intensities, these interactions with desiring production is flowing through um, between the noumenon and the voluptus and the libido. Um still has that power of, of polyvosity it still has the power to speak volumes if you like and it's still between you and the world right the desiring machines and the social machines um, even though there is repression and so um gosh where was i going with this
0: well i, I want to mention they talk about andre Leroy, and i know i will never pronounce his name Correctly, and I apologize to everyone who's smarter than me that knows these guys. But uh, his his specific book, um, uh, Je- gesture, uh, gesture and speech, uh, is something I know Derrida actually references a lot as well. Uh, he was deeply influential on essentially the entire tradition of anyone who touches continental philosophy during this time in France, uh, and he specifically talked about sort of the genealogy of how different tribes came to be, how the different parts. He was a, a, a archaeologist uh, who would go back through and he talked about how hands affected faces, how uh, just it was, it's extraordinary the things that he was able to connect to. I'm finding, and I will be posting in uh, outbound links below, a few links to a few of his works, but... Uh, He very much sort of started to marry the concepts of evolution to the creation of sort of human culture as a thing, Uh, language and stuff like that. It's really interesting uh, way he talked about all of that stuff. So I'm just in case that's who you're talking about, because it's who they reference specifically here and who they're quoting actually through much of this.
3: I guess also looking at the beginning of the paragraph, you know, I can kind of answer my own question here because they're they're saying – Savage formations are oral or vocal, but not because they lack a graphic system. Dan- a dance on the earth, a drawing on a wall, a mark on the body are a graphic system. So, I think what's interesting then, if we go to the Calabash example, then is you kind of think
0: and again. Oh and no! He, he dropped out. We lost him. It's okay. It happens. Oh, I see. Did Did he just get repelled by like associates? Yeah. There we go.
4: But yeah, uh, André Laurent is also very much uh, recipated in uh, German media studies and cultural studies because he coined the term uh, culture techniques, I guess. Um, and this is uh, the foundation not that media and culture is founded on, on specific cognitive abilities, but on uh, pragmatic ones. So I guess his main thesis was that uh, humans uh, have this uh, elaborate culture and this uh, whole evolution of cognition, not because of their uh, specific brain structure, but because of their hands, because they could do things differently from their mouth. So they could uh, handle and tool and at the same time describe it to other people, what they are doing or could communicate about other things. And so they developed, in a pragmatic sense, their cognitive abilities even more.
5: That sounds super Bergsonian.
4: Yeah, it could be, but I don't really know if it is very Bergsonian in this sense.
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely what they're talking about here and it's, uh, I will find the book and I will link to it. There's a few good summaries online. I'll also link to, um, but he was very, very, uh, very involved in a lot of very inspirational to people around this time, uh, in the philosophy world. It was a bit of a breakthrough. Pardon me. Um, uh, but I will continue because they get into and I. Uh, if you would for me one more time try it, I apologize. Could you say his name one more time for me? Maybe I can get it right. The Andrei Leroy Loran. I'm gonna just assume that's right. So I will continue to read. Uh, but how does? What, hey, welcome back, Alyosha. Um, How does one explain the role played by sight? Indicated by Leroy Goran in the contemplation of the face that is speaking, as well as in the reading of manual graphism. Or more precisely, what enables the eye to grasp a terrible equivalence between the voice of alliance that inflicts and constrains and the body inflicted by the sign and the heart that a hand is carving in it? Isn't it necessary to add a third element of the sign? Eye pain, in addition to voice audition and hand graphics? In the rituals of affliction, the patient does not speak, but receives the spoken word. He does not act, but is passive under the graphic action. He receives the stamp of the sign. And what is his pain if not a pleasure for the eye that regards it? The collective or divine eye that is not motivated by any idea of revenge, but is alone capable of grasping the subtle relationship between the sign engraved in the body and the voice issuing from a face, between the mark and the mask. Between these two elements of the code, pain is like a surplus value that the eye extra- extracts, taking hold of the effect of active speech on the body, but also the reaction of the body insofar as it is acted upon. This is indeed what must be called a debt system or territorial representation, a voice that speaks or intones, a sign marked in bare flesh, an eye that extracts enjoyment from the pain. These are the three sides of a savage triangle forming a territory of resonance and retention, a theater of cruelty that implies the triple independence of the articulated voice, the graphic hand, and the appreciative eye. Such is the manner in which territorial representation organizes itself at the surface, still quite close to the desiring machine of eye-hand voice, a magic triangle. Everything in this system is active, acted upon, or reacted to. The action of the voice of alliance, the passion of the body of filiation, the reaction of the eye evaluating the declension of the two. To choose the stone that will make a man of the young Goyaki, with enough pain and suffering, by cleaving the length of his back, it must have a good cutting edge, says clastrous in an admirable text, but not like a sliver of bamboo which cuts too easily. Choosing the right stone requires a practiced eye. The whole apparatus of this new ceremony is reduced to that. A rock, furrowed skin, scarified earth, one and the same mark. Short version, Lyra Gorhan, I know I will end up uh, mispronouncing this a million times. Uh, uh, Lyra Gorhan talks uh, at length uh, about graphism, the act of... Uh, the hand, the act of the tool, how these things work together, and then they're introducing the concept that I don't think. Uh, and please, if anyone who is much more voiced in Larry Gorhan than me, uh, never actually brought up the idea of the perception, the eye, the eye that's perceiving, the the literal eye, e y e, not letter i. Um, and this seems to be that they're very much talking about actually the surplus that is ultimately extracted here is from that perception, the perception of what's happening, the intention, the uh the reception of the desiring flows that are coming out of it that that, that is sort of the the third part of the triangle uh, that enables these things to have uh the power that they have and the movement that it has uh the three elements of representation yes this is where we see the three elements of representation thank you jack that's uh kind of where i was going it seems like they're pushing back towards that uh and for this one Uh, We've got the three. Let's see if we can actually name them out. Let's see if we're right on this. Um, uh, Three elements, the repressed representative, the repressing representation and the displaced represented. Uh, The pain, the body and the eye, the eye that perceives it. Any thoughts before I move on? All right. I will continue reading. The great book of modern ethnology is not so much Mouse's The Gift as Nietzsche's On the Genealogy of Morals. At least it should be. For The Genealogy, the second essay, is an attempt, and a success without equal, as interpreting... that's probably wrong word, at interpreting primitive economy in terms of debt in the debtor-creditor relationship by eliminating every consideration of exchange or interest, à l'anglais, as if they are eliminated from psychology, it is not in order to place them in structure. Nietzsche has only a meager set of tools at his disposal, some ancient Germanic law, a little Hindu law, but he does not hesitate, as does Mauss, between exchange and debt. George Bataille, motivated by Nietzschean inspiration, will not hesitate either. The fundamental problem of the primitive socius, which is the problem of inscription, of coding, of marking, has never been raised in such an incisive fashion. Man must constitute himself through the repression of the intense germinal influx, the great biocosmic memory that threatens to deluge every attempt at collectivity. But at the same time, how is new memory to be created for man? a collective memory of the spoken word of the alliances that declines the alliances with the extended filiations, that endows him with facilities of resonance and retention, of selection and detachment, and that affects in this way the coding of flows of desire as a condition of the socius. The answer is simple. It is debt, open, mobile, and finite blocks of debt. This extraordinary composite of the speaking voice, the marked body, and the enjoying eye, All this stupidity and the arbitrariness of the laws, all this pain of the initiations, the whole perverse apparatus of repression and education, the red-hot irons and the atrocious procedures have only this meaning, to breed man, to mark him in his flesh, to render him capable of alliance, to form him within the debtor-creditor relation, which on both sides turns out to be a matter of memory, a memory straining towards the future. Um,
5: I think, Brooks, you mentioned earlier that you wondered about the translation of um, the word debt. And um, I think that's actually an interesting question because when we talk about Nietzsche, uh, he's obviously written in German. And I think especially in this second um, essay of the genealogy of morals, he leans heavily on the equivalence On the double meaning of "schuld," the German word of for debt, but also guilt, in the process of um, memory making. So there's these two dimensions that are kind of linked between guilt and um, debt. I would be interested in hearing from anyone who is. Uh, more fluent in French than I am if the French phrase they use here has similar um,
0: dimensions of meaning. Well, And before we dive in, actually, I think 61, I think it was you earlier in chat uh, when I was having that little crisis, uh, mentioned the term uh, original sin, which feels... Uh, since they are mentioning and I have never read Nietzsche in the original German so there you go but uh that does feel like it connects more poetically to what Nietzsche is talking about in Genealogy of Morals the concept of uh, uh the things we owe the problems we are born with by just being who we are inside of the time and place we were born uh is it's such a profoundly interesting way to look at it um it's it's I'm glad they brought up Nietzsche because uh I do like, I do like, I do like genealogy of morals. Mm. But no, uh, it's worth asking that. Does anyone, well, we, I, we should have Roger. Um, we should have Roger at some point tomorrow. Let's annoy him overnight to talk about the uh, debt. I'm going to just write him right now. If anyone would like to, uh, uh, go ahead and comment I'm going to write roger right now and have him just do this so uh, feel free to comment or to move on uh, if you guys um, in the
1: indo-european um, you know tradition uh, the it's the initiation process where this kind of uh, inscription comes. The idea of breeding man, you know, the whole problem becomes how to produce uh, men who will defend the city but not tyrannize it. And this is the major theme of the Republic in Plato. Yeah, Yeah, it is
2: at least a question of territorializing them, right?
1: Yeah, what you know, a kind of stark reality in uh, ancient Greece is you had all these city states, and every summer uh, the the men would go out and attack some other city and defend their own city. And then if the uh, uh, if a city fell, then uh, its inhabitants were enslaved and everything was taken away. So it was a zero sum kind of game between the cities and so it was very important that the cities had a kind of standing uh, army in a way of their citizens to repel those attack uh, attacks in hoplite warfare and hoplite warfare itself was very interesting is very different from what is uh, appears within the uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey which is you know mostly portrayed as individuals standing off against each other you know they kind of recite their genealogy and then they they uh, engage one on one in battle. That wasn't what happened in ancient Greece. It was hoplite warfare, which was a group effort. But you had to have a lot of solidarity to uh, to form those hoplite flankses, and uh, and so you know there's a lot of cruelty involved in the initiation process with the boys trying to forge men who would stand up for the city and protect it.
0: In my quick, I I wrote Roger, but in my quick Googling, uh, one of the ways debt is being described in some different books that reference back to this is uh, almost a cosmic debt, that the word debt itself very hesitant to use that because in English it tends to mean just directly debt from a financial monetization commodification means uh, because yeah, our but language they is
4: weird. distance uh, themselves from this uh, English nos- notion because at the beginning they are writing uh, at interpreting primitive economy in terms of debt in the debtor uh, creditor relationship by eliminating every consideration of ex- exchange or interest are long uh, longgla. Uh, what means or interest in the way of the English, uh, or the English way, like uh, in an economic sense? So I guess uh, it's meant that by the debt or by the guild, uh, the German should uh, a person gets inscribed in the socius, so uh, it gets part of society by doing something like uh, initiation right or by uh, helping other persons, so they. By this, they get marked uh, as a person in this society. Before this, they are not a uh, man in the sense of a, a person in this culture.
5: Yeah, I think I, I looked up what the um, French word is that they used um, it's dead. And as far as I can tell, that's mostly aligned with the English debt. But I think what's going on here is that they take this Nietzsche essay, which primarily talks about guilt and relates it to debt um, and tie it back into uh, because Nietzsche thinks about guilt and they basically look at what are the consequences if we take Nietzsche's analysis of debt and guilt and actually tie it back to debt. And that's why they choose um, to go with the debt here.
0: And they do refer to it a few times as political and economic uh, sort of all in. It's an interesting um but I mean, they, again, uh, we should continue going because they do uh, break out a little bit more what they mean by debt uh, overall. But um, thanks, thank you guys for that very much. It's a, it's uh, every one of these chapters is just wonderfully so dense, and it just is going to get worse. Um, but I'm going to continue unless anyone has any quick thoughts on uh,
2: that. Just a quick point too. Um, it's worth remembering too that um, debt is connected with the socius and, and of course the alliance. but in the same way, the filiative and, and memory are, are connected here as well. And in, in that sense, even like, uh, I, I think they call it words, but like language in this society is even tied into this, uh, the biocosmic myth, which I, I think Brooks you were referencing when you were saying like there is debt, but there's also this debt, in this sort of like larger sense, this sort of like connection with a myth.
0: All right. Would anyone like to read the next session? I'm happy to do it. All right. Far from being an appearance assumed by exchange, debt is the immediate effect or the direct means of the territorial and corporal inscription process. Debt is the direct result of inscription. Once again, no revenge, no ressentiment will be invoked here. That is not the ground they grow on any more than does Oedipus. The fact that innocent men suffer all the marks on their bodies derives from the respective autonomy of the voice and the graphic action, and also from the autonomous eye that extracts pleasure from the event. It is not because everyone is suspected, in advance, of being a future bad debtor. The contrary would be closer to the truth. It is the bad debtor who must be understood as if the marks had not sufficiently taken on him, as if he were or had been unmarked. He has merely widened, beyond the limits allowed, the gap that separated the voice of alliance and the body of filiation to such a degree that it is necessary to re-establish the equilibrium through an increase in pain. Nietzsche doesn't say this, but what does it matter? For it is indeed here that he encounters the terrible equation of debt. Injury done equals pain to be suffered. How does one explain, he asks, that the criminal's pain can serve as an equivalent of the harm he's done? How can one pay back with suffering? An eye must be invoked that extracts pleasure from the event. This has nothing to do with vengeance. Something that Nietzsche himself calls the evaluating eye, or the eye of the gods who enjoy crew spectacles, and in punishment there is so much that is festive. So much is pain part of an active life and an obliging gaze. The equation injury equals pain has nothing exchanges about it, and it shows in this extreme case that the debt itself had nothing to do with exchange. Simply stated, the eye extracts from the pain it is contemplating a surplus value of code that compensates the broken relationship between the voice of alliance that the criminal has wronged and the mark that has not sufficiently penetrated his body. Whew. The crime... A rupture of the phonographic connection re established by the spectacle of the punishment. As primitive justice, territorial representation has foreseen everything.
6: There's a lot there, isn't there?
0: Please join. Say, okay. jump in.
6: Um, I had one thought, and again, I I hadn't been able to do to you know, study this in, in depth in advance but um, one, one thing I was uh, thinking about is the way it connects up to um, Foucault's uh, Discipline Punish mm-hmm. um, because one of the ways in which Deleuze and Qatari um, uh, sketch out these kinds of ideal types whether it comes to you know, these different kinds of societies, um, different forms of, um, uh, punishment exchange and so on. Um, they're only ideal types, right. And, um, in, in, in when, when we become real, when they realized they're all, every, every actual society is, is, is really just a mixture of a mixture of them. Right. Um, and so this kind of imprinting of, uh, Pain upon the criminal, um, and the eye which takes pleasure out of it in order to sort of re establish the appropriate balance. Um, to me, that that, that that seems very similar to what uh, to, to Foucault's account um, of um, early sort of uh, sovereign um, power. Um, in Discipline and Punish, you get that discussion of uh, Damien, the regicide, right? Um, and that early, well, not early, but you know, even. Until fairly recently, monarchs had to uh, make a show of it. Right, they had to display their power and, and see for themselves the pain being extracted from the criminal in order to reestablish that that balance. And so, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, how we um, how we conceptualize it like in a chronological way because Deleuze and Guattari really. Um, sceptical of the idea that there's a kind of evolutionist account of society. So if it's sort of, if every society is actually a mixture of all of these different things in different proportions, maybe, maybe there's a, an interesting link there we could sort of make with uh, Foucault's work in order to join them up, I suppose. Hopefully that made sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's great. Um, the thing I, 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 for me, the takeaway from this um, is ultimately they're talking at this point about uh, the territorialization, the inscribing, uh, how inscribing happens inside of savage societies. And they're, they're saying here, and it ends, uh, territorial representation has foreseen everything. The idea is that by going through these rituals that all of the people go through in here, they're talking about. Uh, the scarification that young men go through or that women go through depending on the place in their life in these various societies uh, the scarification happens uh, as part of the sort of natural debt the debt slash guilt slash cosmic owedness you have as you go back um
6: yeah it, it's interesting and and Obviously, I'm sure you you folks have been talking about this, you know, already, like, you know, the the primacy of debt over exchange as the kind of um, motivating force in quote unquote development. Um, That's really interesting. That always struck me as a really interesting point. Right. Because so often when you have discussions with people about, you know, Uh, how how society develops, you know, state of nature, you know, those sorts of discussions. Um everyone seems to just assume that it's exchange, right? But capitalism capitalism in particular just it just it's always kind of been that, right? Like um people have already always owned stuff and traded stuff and that's what capitalism is, right? Um so I've always found that an interesting one thinking about it in terms of debt rather than exchange.
0: So as they go through this this paragraph, I I, I really enjoy. Um, at least it it helps me understand when we talk about how the inscription happens within the socius of the savage that their their world, the the representation, the things that are inscribed, it's already assumed by the people that everything is sort of uh, I don't want to say paid for, but that may be the way to talk about it. That that's how I'm reading it. That everything is very much already paid for by going through these rituals. That. The debt is that this is sort of that cycle. The thing your life produces your debt. By doing this, you you pay that back. The the criminal uh, who does these things, it's it's seen as though they obviously didn't do it properly. They didn't you know, experience the pain the way that they were intended to. They didn't take it in properly, and so it's it's on them almost rather than it's on them for failing.
1: Oh, and, and then a good point is that, um, you know, Gal wrote this book called uh, Oedipus, the Philosopher, where he, he makes the point that Oedipus is a failed hero. He failed the initiation. So, you know, it's quite interesting to think of that as the, uh, you know, the hero is the one who goes through the initiation and the, the inscription takes in the hero. But uh, Oedipus is a product of the failure of the the initiation. So the inscription did not take Oedipus.
6: Yeah, that's an interesting parallel, right? Like the the, 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 um, the Oedipal sort of patient is the one who hasn't yet properly internalized the um, uh, Oedipus, right? And I guess you could make the same parallel there as you just did with, you know, the criminal who hasn't properly understood their place within the the systems of debts and alliances and so on.
0: Well, then with that, I will uh, read out the last paragraph of this section and uh, we can discuss for a few moments. We've got a little bit of extra time today, so. I think it would be worth just going over and uh, hashing out some stuff before we do the review tomorrow. Coding pain and death, it has foreseen everything, except for the way its own death would come to it from without. They come like fate, within, without reason, consideration, or pretext. They appear as lightning appears, too terrible, too convincing, too sudden, too different, even to be hated. Their work is an instinctive creation and imposition of forms. They are the most involuntary, unconscious artists there are. Wherever they appear, something new arises, a ruling structure that lives, in which parts and functions are delimited and coordinated, in which nothing whatever finds a place that has not first been assigned a meaning in relation to the whole. They do not know what guilt, responsibility, or consideration are, these born organizers. They exemplify that terrible artist's egoism, that the look of bronze and nose that has the look of bronze and knows itself justified to all eternity in its work, like a mother and her child. It is not in them that the bad conscience developed. That goes without saying. But it would not have developed if a tremendous quantity of freedom had not been expelled from the world, or at least from the visible world, and made, as it were, latent under the hammer blows and artist's violence. It is here that Nietzsche speaks of a break, a rupture, a leap. Who are these beings? They who come like fate. Some pack of blonde beasts of prey, a conqueror of manster race, organized for war with an ability to organize, unhesitatingly lays its terrible claws upon the populace, perhaps tremendously superior in numbers, but still formless. Even the most ancient African myths speak to us of these blonde men. They are the founders of the state. Nietzsche will come to establish the existence of other breaks those of the Greek city-state, Christianity, democratic and bourgeois humanism, industrial society, capitalism and socialism. But it could be that all these, in various ways, presuppose this first great hiatus, although they all claim to repel and fill it. It could be that spiritual or temporal, tyrannical or democratic, capitalist or socialist, there has never been but a single state, the state as dog that speaks with flaming roars, And Nietzsche suggests how this new Socius proceeds, a terror without precedent, in comparison with which the ancient system of cruelty, the forms of primitive regimentation and punishment, are nothing. Concerted destruction of all the primitive coatings, or worse yet, their derisory preservation, their reduction to the condition of secondary parts in the new machine, and the new apparatus of repression... All that constituted the essential element of the primitive inscription machine. The blocks of mobile, open, finite debts. The parcels of destiny finds itself taken into immense machinery that renders the debt infinite and no longer forms anything but one and the same crushing fate. The aim now is to preclude, pessimistically, once and for all, the prospect of a final discharge. The aim now is to make the glance recoil disconsolately from an iron impossibility. The earth becomes a madhouse. We get to finally move into the barbarian despotic machine, which is great.
6: Yeah, I mean, these these first bits about the you know the uh, you know what they call primitive you know machine or whatever you know that, that, that for me is the hardest part of this chapter. Like, there's so much detail about. Um, the markings and inscriptions and the rituals and pain and so on and the anthropology and the ethnography, it, it it gets really hard to keep track of it sometimes in my head. I think <clears throat> I'm sure other people have a similar experience with it.
0: No, I fully understand all of this very easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot. There's just a lot.
6: Interesting. Um, um, question question that, that gets sort of proposed I suppose in, in this last paragraph I don't know if there's necessarily a, an answer here yet um, at least in, 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 in this section of the book because um, they are of course you know they're broadly indebted to uh, Clastra's, uh society mistake in this sense right but in that sense they both have a common problem which is that um, given that, that they both agree that um uh, "Quote unquote primitive societies have um, actively sought to ward off the possibility of the state." Um, the question then is: How is it that, um, in almost every case, the state has nevertheless, you know, come to uh, come to dominate? Um, where does that sort of transition point happen?ing Obviously, there are certain societies where it hasn't happened, but you know most have um so where does that transition point come from and and here he sort of you know draws on Nietzsche this sort of um this event right this, this you, you, it's really all you can say is it's it's this event this coming of the um of these invaders who you know mark down that that new uh, strata right of the stratify that smooth space um and i found that an interesting question i will say that um I was reading a little bit from A Thousand Plateaus recently, and I think they, they give a better answer to that, the question about transition in A Thousand Plateaus. And there is also a really good book by John Protevi called um, Edges of the State, um, which basically takes Deleuze Guattari, Clastra, um, and uh, contemporary anthropology and uh, neuroscience to talk about these questions. So that's just another recommendation Like, if you want to go further on that.
0: Any, any last thoughts before uh, we close out today? Because uh, we will have a hu- whole uh, review session tomorrow. Again, same time, same place. Because um, we're going to be able to go through a lot here as we discuss. Uh, I mean, I mean, this whole fucking section. Uh, territorialization and the concept as we move into the barbaric, uh, into the despotic, uh, is fascinating to me because it seems a lot of the things that they're implying and I'm not going to pretend to know what they are and we'll discuss them tomorrow. Uh, a lot of the implications within this, uh, are, I don't know, seem to be foundational for us to understand what, uh, at least the role debt plays, uh, as we move into the despotic and then ultimately towards the capital. So understanding debt, I think is going to be a very important part of this uh, discussion tomorrow for me. Any other thoughts? All right. Well, I thank all of you. Uh this is slowly going to get edited and then tossed back up onto our SoundCloud and then out podcasted. I've been a little bit behind, uh, thanks to the move. But we'll get all of it up. Uh tomorrow, please join us here. Uh, same time, same channel. We'll record it again. Uh, and we will hopefully get all of these things out for all of you to listen to. Thank you all. And uh Uh, Triad and Lou and you guys thank you very much uh, for the everyone for taking part Uh, these things are very difficult for me to grasp and every little bit we start pushing really does help so thank you very much.